All right. If you got a Bible, go to the book of Hebrews. It's back there in the back. Book of Hebrews is where we're going to be starting a brand new series today as we journey through uh, this. What is going to be an awesome, awesome experience as we go through this book. I'm going to go ahead and read our passage. Then we're going to pray. And we're going to dive into it. This is our, our passage for today. One among dozens. So just get ready to hold on your hats, people. Um, Hebrews chapter one, verses one and two. I love how this starts. It's got like a Star Wars kind of vibe to it. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. It's the word of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that we have a story like this written down, passed down from generation to generation, and that you are not a God who just set the clock, so to speak, and let us try to figure out life on our own, but the fact that you are actually a God who speaks, leads, and God. And then, Jesus, you came to earth not to just be a representation or a messenger of the word of God, but you came to earth as the word of God to speak and to show us truth. And today, all I'm wanting to do is to show your people your word. And by showing them your word, they will see Jesus. And when seeing Jesus, their lives will be changed. It's a big ask, Jesus. But I know that it's what you can do because you tell us in this word that is living and active, that it and it alone has the power to radically transform lives because there is a God behind this word. It is not a man behind this word. There's the God of the universe, the loving, caring, kind, heavenly father, the author and perfecter of our faith. The beginning and the end is the one who inspired this word to be written. And you're here with us. You're speaking to us. And Jesus, I would... Invite us even to echo the prayer of a young man named Solomon. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In your name, amen. So we can see a passage like this, and what this reveals to us and shows to us is that there are power in words, and that we actually serve a God who chooses to let words be what are formative to us as human beings. We're going to unpack and really dive into that today. Today is going to be a unique day. Um, today is going to be, I can go ahead and tell you, it's going to be more scripture than I've ever given you in a passage. Now, some of you, you know, Bible, you know, scholarly, nerdy kind of people, you're like, yeah. And others of you who are like, I'm going to go to sleep. Do not go to sleep. Um, we're going to get into more scripture than we ever have in a passage or in a message that I've ever preached to you. So what that means is, here, and I really do believe this, I'm not just saying this to, to sound a fake humble. That means today's message is going to be the best message I've ever preached because it's going to have less of me in it and more of the living, active Word of God. So please lean in. That's the reason that I, uh, today we did something we haven't done in a while, and I actually gave you something where you can write stuff down. Um, I'm going to go through so much Scripture in here that you are not, I can go ahead and tell you, you are not, unless you're just are an X-Man, you're not going to have time to be able to flip to all of these pages. All right? So words are important, and we see this from the time we're born. I have my two little boys, and they're born, and what you see right off the bat is the words we speak over them, they're very formative. You have your words, and that's what you use to communicate. This is mom. This is dad. This is hot. This is cold. Don't do that. Eat your food. You speak words over your kids, and those words that are spoken over us, that have been spoken over you in your life, the words that have been spoken are the most formative things about who you are. You ask me who you are and why you are the way that you are, I unequivocally could take that back to the words that have been spoken to you, most importantly, usually, by a mother or a father. The things like, I love you, I'm proud of you, 
I'm so thankful for you. Things like don't lick the refrigerator. That's weird. All of those things that we, we tell our kids to help guide them into what life is really supposed to look like, those are the formative things. The prayers that we pray, the things that we let them in on, that we have those hard conversations with them about, those words form them. And anybody who's a parent in the room, you get this, you should take the burden that it is to be the primary communicator of the words of God to your kid, that my words that I speak over them and into them, within those words is kind of the power of their life and their death. And these words are mission critical to them, which makes me kind of terrified of the fact that at some point my kid is going to get one of these. And what's going to happen is now my word is going to have a competition in the life of my kid that is unprecedented. All the truth, all the the long, drawn-out conversations that I've had with my boys now have all the messages that they could ever find on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and all the things that could come at them through one of these. And almost all of us have one of these. And almost all of us have the ability to receive the messages that come through one of these or come through a computer screen or come through a TV screen. Almost all the stats would tell us that most Americans spend at least two hours on social media, and we all have our own ones. Now, uh, we used to get in here, and in churches, we used to bash social media, and we used to think that was like a millennial and Gen Z thing. But here's the news. I am also on social media, and here's what I see. All of you boomers, and whatever the generation is over that, y'all are there too, okay? So please don't point your finger and go, yeah, them kids need to get off their phones. You're on yours too, okay? I've, I've gone to family dinners and Thanksgiving and looked around and not just seen teenagers doing this, all right? How many of you teenagers in the room would be willing to raise your hand and say, yeah, I saw uncle so-and-so, they're doing that as well. It's, all, it's, all, it's not a young person problem. It's not an old person problem. It's all our problem. We let these things dictate so much of our life and the problem is, We are the product. See, all of these companies, and I'm sorry, I don't don't have a tinfoil hat on. I'm just telling you the truth here today. All of these companies leverage their platform to sell you as the product. And this is not a secret. Sean Parker, he's the founding president of Facebook. He says, Facebook from design was created to consume as much of your time and attention as possible. It's just right if they're out there. I love this quote by a guy named Edward Tuft. He said, there are only two industries that call their consumers users, illegal drugs and software companies. And when the product is free, the reality is, is you're the product. Your attention, what you give your time and attention to is what these companies are leveraging. And here's what they know. The more divisive the more sensational, the more rage-filled the messages and communication they can give you, the more likely you are to bite hook, line, and sinker into these things and consume them and be brought in. And what's happening is, and, and you know this, study after study is showing that these messages and these mediums, whether it be the news or whether it be what you see on your phone, they are connected to anxiety, loneliness, depression, lack of attention, uh, decrease in disrupted and delayed sleep, memory loss, and a host of all physical struggles including self-harm, including suicide. And so uh, the big question I want to ask you is this, in regards to the words, is what words are the most worthy of your trust? Now, again, I know I'm talking to a bunch of church people, and y'all give me that Sunday school answer. The B-I-B-L-E, pastor. That's the most worthy of my trust. You're right. I mean, I, I agree with you. 
Most of us would say this. What words are the most worthy of your trust? Again, we all went through a global pandemic and election cycle. We know that Fox is lying to us. We know that CNN is lying to us. We know New York Times. We know pretty much on our, sorry to break that to some of you guys. They're all lying to us. Okay. There's, it's like good luck finding any sort of truth anywhere. So when it comes to this question, what words are worth worthy of my trust? The Christian people in the room would go, the Bible is. All right. Which is why I have to ask you, unfortunately, the second question. What words are most worthy of your time? Because for most of us, there's a disconnect between the words we say we trust the most and the words we spend the most time with. See, we may say that this is the the collection of words that we trust the most, but we don't spend any time in it. We spend hours and hours and hours and hours consuming words from other resources, from other places, whether it be whatever platform is your you know, pick of the one or, or whatever news channel is your pick of the one. We spend all our time there and we spend so little time in the word, the thing that we would actually say is the most trustworthy. And then we wonder and we sit around going, I wish I just knew who to trust. I wish I just knew who to believe. And my, my hope is that we would be a people who refuse to let this disconnect continue on in our lives. And I'm asking you those questions because I know that I need help. I need help letting this be not just the word that I trust is true, but also being the word that I spend the most time and I'm most dedicated to. And before I go and see what's going on in the world, I already see the truth that's bound up in here. So it gives me a filter through which to see what's actually going on in the world. And we need help. Because we need help, here's what I would say we all need. We need a biblical church. A biblical church. Now, I, I underline and I highlight that word on purpose. You and me, we need a biblical church. The reason you need a biblical church is because you need truth. We're, I'm not after, and if you're like, what's MCC really all about? We are not about, even you heard us talk about family-friendly stuff. Primarily, we are not primarily about being a family-friendly church. We are not primarily about being a seeker-focused kind of church. We are not primarily about being a a church where it has great musical arts and and it's just you're going to come in, you're just going to be wowed by the way we play music and sing songs. The primary focus of MCC, for anybody who is wondering, our heartbeat is to be a biblical church. Now, I know some of you are sitting here going, man, but you're telling me I need a biblical church. I've been to a bunch of churches and I've been hurt and I've been bruised and beaten and kind of messed up by churches and chewed up and spit out by churches. And here's what I can tell you. Any pain or affliction that you've experienced at a church is a direct result of either that church, someone's activity, or maybe even your activity within that church not being biblical. Because when we exist within the context of a local church and we do it in a biblical way, it unequivocally, it always, it is by rule and notion that when we exist in church and we do it biblically, it is absolutely the best life possible. So to make sure we're all on the same page, when I talk about you need a biblical church, I want us to know what we're talking about when we say this idea of church. Church. Church is a group of people who commit together to be and to do all that God says the church is and does. And where do we get those two things from? We get that from his word. Now, I highlighted commit for a reason because a church is not something that you attend. A church is something that you're a part of and it's something that you have to choose whether or not you're actually gonna be committed to it or not. And again, this goes back to the, the concept of truth and where do I go to get my truth? Do I go to my phone? Do I go to a news source? Do I go to an, a, a collection of articles? Or do I go to the place where the word is, 
where the word is taught, where the word is preached. Now, I'm going to tell you something, and you're going to think, like, of course you'd say that. But let me, let me try to make this point, and I'm going to try to hopefully prove it to you. We are wired by God to need biblical preaching and teaching. Now, <laughs> I know you're going, of course you would say that that's what we need. Like, you do that. It's your job. Yeah, duh. Now, <clears throat> listen, I don't even like hearing myself talk. Jessica, barely, she has to deal with it. But I'm saying this because we all need to have a place where we can come together and gather around this word and see how it applies to our actual lives. We need a community where we can go, okay, let's help each other live out these truths that we learn on Sundays, that we learn on Wednesdays, that we learn in community groups. Let us build a community now where we figure out how to live out these truths so that it's not just truth on paper, but it's truth on display through our lives. So we become congruent human beings. Who we are on the inside actually matches who we are on the outside. We need this biblical church, and we need to be a people commit. So what I want to do here, and it's going to be a wild ride, I want to walk you through basically the entire Bible. Now, I know some of you are like, okay, cancel lunch. That's, we're going to get through it. But I want you to see how important hearing the Word of God and living the Word of God has been for the entire existence of the people of our faith, the people who would worship our God, uh, His Son, the Holy Spirit, the people of God, the people who would call themselves Christian, how mission critical it has been for us to be people not just of the church, not just people of the faith, but truly people of the Word, and how that is what God has used from the very beginning to show us who He is. Genesis chapter 1, right from the very beginning, this is how we see this show up. Genesis 1-3, when God's getting ready to make things happen, it says God said. Now God could have clapped and the, I mean, he could have been the OG clapper and just had it, boom, lights on. And that could have happened. God could have just went lights and lights would have come on. But here's what I want you to see about what our God does. God speaks and things happen. He said, let there be light and there was light. And if you keep reading through Genesis 1 right there, he did the same thing with the sea, the sky, vegetation, stars, moon, animals. He did it with all those things. He keeps going. In Genesis 1, 26, then God said, again, he's speaking here, let us make man in our image. He does. He makes man in the image. It says, and God makes Adam and Eve. He's got them there. And what God does is he blessed them. That's a verbal blessing. He blesses them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Now, again, God could have left like a little rock with a beautiful little inscription that said, be fruitful and multiply. And I'm glad he didn't because Adam would have probably go, Eve, what do you think this means? And, uh, and Adam would have gone, I know what it means. Do you know what it means? Ah. And uh, it didn't happen. So God tells them, be fruitful and multiply. He's speaking to them there in the garden. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on earth. This is God showing up to his creation and communicating. He says, I love you. I know that the basis of our relationship is two things, trust and good communication. And that's how God starts off his relationships with human beings. And he goes further on to clarify what their life should look like. It says, the Lord God commanded the man, this is him speaking in and telling man what he should do. He commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. It's God's way of saying here in this passage, listen to my words, 
live. Ignore my words, disobey my words, and die. He makes that very clear. He's a good God for giving them that direction. Then we get into Genesis 3, and we see the enemy show up. He, that's the snake in the story, which embodies Satan. He said to the woman, catch this here, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree, eat of any tree in the garden? Now, pay attention here, guys. When Satan slithers up and begins to question God, begins to try to tempt Adam and Eve, he does not come against God's actions. What does he come against? He comes against his word. He attacks the things that God has said because he knows that what God has said is so powerful that that is his governing way of leading and guiding his people into the most fruitful life. And so he attacks God's words. He says, did God really say that? That's his number one thing. That's his number one ploy. And then Genesis 3, 4, uh, 3, 3, we see Eve kind of go, well, you know, this is what he said. And then he gives his response, Satan, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. See, this is not an Old Testament problem. This is a right now me and you problem because Satan has not changed, has not switched up his strategy. He is still doing the same thing. He's still going, okay, I just want you to listen to what I say. I just want you to question the authority of God's word. And I think even in our, in our day and age, in our time, what he has done is he's not so much about getting you to disregard or he's not a going anti-apologetics to get you to not believe what God's word is. He just wants you distracted from it. He just wants you to not get to it. He didn't even have to go, did God really say that? Because he can just show you what your influencers are saying. And this is as real as it was to Adam and Eve as it is to us today. Satan's strategies and tactics, they have not changed a single bit. So he speaks to them in that way. And then from that story, you get kind of what happens as human beings disobey God. We know where this goes from here. Adam and Eve, they eat. They eat of the fruit. And they surely die. And and death begins to befall all of humanity from that point on. We see a flood happen because people don't listen to the word. We see the people not listen to God and they forget about God and they start doing their own things. And when God blows up the Tower of Babel, what does he mess up? Their words. So they can't communicate with each other because they're not communicating with him anymore and listen to what he says anymore. He goes on from there and he calls this guy, Abraham, to be the one who, you know, is this father to his new family. He's going to pick them. He's going to choose this nation of Israel. It goes from there, and uh, Abraham's family, they grow, and they grow, and they grow, and eventually they fall into captivity, and then he sends a guy named Moses. And Moses, his whole call was to set the people of Israel free. Well, they, you know the story, Prince of Egypt story. They rebel, and they're able to get out from slavery via the Egyptians. God makes a way for them, parts a way through the sea, and then they're in the wilderness. And God wants to give this people who he set free a new way to be guided into true life. And Moses goes up on this mountain and God gives Moses these commandments, these, these rules and regulations, this new way to live this life that will be their best life. God says, I've rescued you out of slavery. Now I want to make sure you never become a slave of sin again. Here is what true life will look like. And he gives these things to Moses and we see what happens after that. In Exodus 24, three through four. So as Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. (laughs) We know how that went. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. But what I want you to see here is this is supposed to be an image of what the church 
is and does for generations to come. God gives the word, the people gather together, hear the word, and then the people go obey the word. That's like our God's original intent for communicating with us. But unfortunately, it doesn't always go that way. In the book of Deuteronomy, we see Moses continue to speak to the people about this word that they've got. In Deuteronomy 4, 1 and 2, he says, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and rules. We have a God who communicates that I'm teaching you and do them that you may live and go and take possession of the land of the Lord. The God of your father, he's giving that to you. You shall not add to the word that I commanded you nor take away from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord, your God, that I have commanded you. He goes on from here. He says, see, I have taught you the statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me. This is Moses saying, look, I'm teaching you everything that God has told me that you should do them in the land that you are entering and take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding, listen here, in the sight of the peoples. He's trying to rescue this people and send them to a new region. He's saying, I'm giving you governance. I'm giving you the new way of life that you're going to live because you're going to a new place. I'm taking you to a new place, and when you get there, you're going to have to be a new people. So I'm giving you my way of doing that. He says, here's why. So when those people see this, when they hear of these statutes, they will say, this is the witness that they give as people who are supposed to be obedient to the word of God. Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? Whenever we call upon him, and what great nation is there that has the statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today. See, what was supposed to happen here is they're gonna receive this word of God, go into this promised land, and then bear witness to everybody else. So, so much so that the people would look around and go, what type of God did these people have? He must be a God who speaks directly to them, shows them his word, and these rules and these laws, they are so righteous because these people are so righteous. They do what's right. They love right. They're pure in heart. And that was God's original intent. But unfortunately, that's not what ended up happening. Deuteronomy 6, 9. This may be one that's a little bit more uh, familiar to you. This is, again, Moses trying to help them not just let these be things that they've heard, but be things that are in their heart. He says, in these words I have commanded you today, they shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they will be frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It was his way of saying, this is so critical. You've got to get it everywhere in front of you. It was God's way of saying, your life and death depends on you listening and heeding what I'm saying to you right now. The world is going to surround you with lies, false things, and things that are wrong. And I need you to put this truth everywhere. I need it to be where you have to close your eyes to not be able to see it. Write it everywhere. Talk about it with your children. Let it be every aspect of your life. And this is what he tries to encourage them to do. This is what he tells them to do. And this scene was supposed to become the pattern of their life. It was supposed to become all of who they are. But unfortunately, the people of God don't listen. There's this book in the Bible called Judges, and it's a really unfortunate book where the people just do not listen to God, and God has to send people, and most of them are, are bad in leadership as well. And eventually, God chooses to start speaking through prophets. Like we talked about last couple of weeks, this guy Jonah, he was a prophet. 
And God begins to speak through prophets. One of the prophets that he spoke through uh, was this guy, Samuel. He's the one who prayed the prayer we said at the beginning. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And so God chooses some prophets. And he said in 1 Samuel 3, 1, Now the boy, Samuel, he was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Eli is the priest. And the word of the Lord was rare in that, those days. It wasn't that God was active. It wasn't active. It wasn't that God wasn't present. But because the people refused to listen, God stopped speaking as much as he used to. The word was rare. And he begins to speak through this prophet, Samuel. And as he's speaking through Samuel, things happen. And there's good kings and there's bad kings. But for the most part, still people aren't listening and obeying and, and following after God the way they should. And then one of my favorite stories in Scripture, the people are finally, after bad king, after bad king, after bad king, there's this king who becomes king at eight years old. His name's Josiah. And Josiah, again, childlike faith here, he tears down idol temples that they were making. He tears down uh, poles and these shrines to all these different idols. And he breaks down all these things and he brings reform to the whole nation of Israel. And one of the things that he says is he says, hey, let's rebuild this temple. Let's rebuild this place where God lives and resides. And as they're rebuilding the temple, one of the things that they come to find is actually the law of Moses. The thing that we just got through reading about in there. They find this law of Moses and this King Josiah, he's gotten a little bit older at this point in time. He says, read me this thing that you just found, this thing that we have wandered so far away from. Read to me the scroll that is the law, the word of God. It says, and when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. Again, he heard the words. He tore his clothes. The reason he tore his clothes is because he realized how far him and all of his people, who he was the king representative of, had gotten away from the word. And the king commanded a bunch of guys' names who none of us can pronounce. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning, here it is, the words of the book that was been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that's written in this book. See, what's happening here is this king is going, oh my gosh, how far have we fallen from this? All of the pain and punishment that we've experienced as a nation, all of these bad kings, all of this has been a direct result of us refusing to listen to obey a God who's been speaking to us all along. And what if maybe, just maybe, friend, some of the pain, the brokenness, the hurt that you're experiencing in life is because whether you realize it or not, you have chosen to ignore the word of God. And probably the, the best story my, my personal favorite from the Old Testament, and we'll get into some of the New Testament ones, is a story of what happens to the nation of Israel after they get completely ransacked by the Babylonian Empire. Prophet after prophet tells them, hey guys, if we don't turn and repent and turn and listen to God, we're going under. And that actually happens. The Babylonian Empire comes in and captures them. King Nebuchadnezzar, this is all historical stuff. This is not just made up Bible junk. King Nebuchadnezzar comes in, attacks him. That's where we get our stories like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's where we get our stories about Daniel and the lion then. They are all just in Babylonian captivity. Well, another nation comes in, the Persians, and they overthrow the Babylonians who have overthrown the Israelites. And there's a king over Persia, and this guy, Nehemiah, he gets risen up by God, and he actually goes to the king of Persia, and he says, hey, listen, um, we've been slaves for a long time. Uh, we're really not serving any good here. What if, and maybe it would benefit you to kind of spread out your kingdom, and he kind of just works his way with words, and he says, king of Persia, let us go back to Jerusalem, and let us begin to rebuild and refortify our old city. And by the grace of God and the favor of God, 
the, prince, the king of Persia goes, yes, you can go back and rebuild your city. And so the people of God go back to their city, Jerusalem, and they begin to rebuild the temple and the walls. And that's the whole book of Nehemiah. And this is what happens in the book of Nehemiah. All the people gathered as one man in the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, he brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they had heard. And on the first day of the seventh month, and he read it, he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early in the morning until midday. That's a long sermon, preaching. In the presence of the men and the women. Now again, he just read from it. There's no uh, analogies, there's no metaphors, there's no story about his kids, there's no poems, there's no video illustrations. Ezra just gets up there with the word of God and look what happens. And Ezra the scribe stood up on a wooden platform that they had made for this purpose. And beside him stood, again, a bunch of guys' names who we cannot pronounce. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. So imagine, open the book and the people, they go, okay, this is a reverence moment for us. They all stand up in reverence because they know the living active word of God is there. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen. They start lifting up their hands like revival is happening. It's a a day like at a Pentecostal church and nobody's screaming and shouting. The pastor isn't sweating. He doesn't have a sweat rag that he's pulling out. There's nobody's running up and down. All they're doing, guys, is reading the word. Lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord and their faces fell to the ground. And again, all those guys that we don't know how to pronounce their names, what they did is they step in and they start helping the people understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book of the law of God clearly, and they gave them sense so that the people understood the reading. They read the book of God. There were people who said, let's read this book of God. And so hopefully you're you're grasping what's happening right here. I just gave you centuries of the story of God's people and the connection they had between the word of God and life as they wanted it to be. And when they listened and obeyed God, their lives were much better off. And when they didn't, it was rough, which is no coincidence. When we turn the page from the Old Testament into the New Testament, our story starts out with Jesus. And it comes on the scene and it says, what was Jesus? It says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. That is Jesus. That is a capital W. That is Jesus as the logos of God. And to avoid any confusion, so that we really know what we're talking about here, in John 1, 14, it says, And the Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And what did this Jesus, this, this one who was deemed to be the Word of God, Word in flesh, dwelling among us, what did He come to do? Well, He told us what He came to do. Mark 1.38, He said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach. There also, this is why I came out. This is why I'm here. I'm here to deliver. I am the Word, here to deliver the Word of God so the people will be able to hear the truth, obey the truth, and walk in the truth. And unfortunately, many people don't want to hear what Jesus has to say, and they crucify him. And then Jesus 
upon his crucifixion, burial, and resurrection, he tells the apostles, he says, guys, go. Get, out of, get, get, get back into Jerusalem, and I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. The Spirit of truth is going to embody you, and then you're going to go out, and you're going to do what I did. Even greater things are going to happen through you. And I want you to see, because this is where we come into play, because, guys, we're the church. We have ancestry. We have forefathers. We have people who happened and came before us. And this is what happened as the local church got going, as the Holy Spirit empowered these people. It says, so those who received his word... We're baptized. This, his word is, is Peter preaching the word that he heard from Jesus. They were baptized. And they were added to that day 3,000 souls. Why? Because the word was preached. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And this isn't just their whims and their ways. The apostles' teachings, remember, these were guys who had Jesus as their rabbi, who spent the three years apprenticing under Jesus. And so they're not teaching anything that they haven't heard first from the word made flesh who dwelt among them, Jesus. Story goes on in Acts, and we see a lot here. Acts 4 4. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men who came was about 5,000. Track with me here, this is awesome. Acts 6 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied it greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So track with those last two verses. When what increases, the church increases? Really good pastors? Great music? Killer children's ministry, a beautiful, amazing building on the right location of town. No, when the church increases, it's because the word increases. And so, man, I'm telling you, like I've been a part of, uh, of the top five fast growing churches in the nation. I've been a church, part of churches that were shrinking. But here's one thing I can tell you. Without a doubt, there is a way to grow a local church. The amount of people that show up without the word. And then there's a right way to grow a church. And here, here's my commitment to you. I mean, some of you are coming in, you're somewhat new to MCC. Here's our commitment. We will be a biblical church. And, and, and my, here's our church growth strategy. Increase the word, increase the church. This is what we see. Sure, go ahead. Uh, Acts 8, 4. And those who were scattered, they went about preaching the word. So persecution jumps out all in the church there in Jerusalem. And they're getting killed for preaching the word. They're getting harmed for preaching the word. And what happens is the Jews think that they and the, the, the governing authorities think, okay, well, we can snuff this thing out. But again, they go out and they're preaching the word. So they just send people out further to go and continue to multiply because the word cannot be stopped. Acts 10, 44. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Acts 13, 48 and 49. And when the Gentiles heard this, this is Paul preaching at this point. He's already been converted by the word. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. As they, many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the region. I underlined this, circled this, and highlighted this so much because I thought this was so amazing. It says, the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Now, add that with this right here. Paul stayed there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And at that, with this right here, Paul's preaching continued for two years and all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jew and Gentile. So everybody's hearing the word because they're preaching the word. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is crazy. When you take those last three verses and this verse right here, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Wouldn't it make sense for it to, instead of saying the word of the Lord, just say, so the church continued to increase and prevail mightily. Would that be a true statement or not, that the church increased and prevailed mightily? That would be a true statement. 
The church was increasing. The church was prevailing. But again, the Holy Spirit of God, this, this is the book of Acts. The book of Acts was written by a guy named Luke who also wrote the gospel of Luke. The Holy Spirit, the way we believe scripture came into account is the Holy Spirit of God works in and through the authors of those passages of scripture. So it's not just, you know, crooked guys sitting down writing stuff going, here's what I think. It's the Holy Spirit inspiring what goes through the quill and the ink that goes into their scroll. The Holy Spirit knows. I don't want anybody to get it twisted and to think that the reason the church was going was because the church was doing really good. So Luke, when you talk about how the church is prevailing, tie it back to the word of the Lord. And then we get to Paul. And Paul talks to his understudy, Timothy, and he gives us this truth about the word. He says, I charge you. He's talking to Timothy here. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. This is what, and again, this is what the word does. The word reproves, the word rebukes, the word exhorts. And with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming. And this is the time we are in right now, guys. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They'll go, well, that's what marriage used to be. Now marriage is new. Well, that's what gender used to be. Now gender is different. Well, that's what parenting used to be. Now parenting is this way. Well, this is what uh, finances were then. Now this is how finances are now. Well, this is who God was then. This is who God is now. I want to go find the place that will give me the God I want, not the God who is true. But I don't want to put up with sound teaching. I want teaching that itches my ears. He gets in that in a second. <clears throat> they'll turn away and find, uh, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers, influencers, to suit their own passions, and they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And a couple of verses before this, he says this, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, this is the truth I want you to hear. I've said it already today. Listen and live. This is, this is the point. This is the truth. This is, this is why before we get ready to spend, I don't know how many weeks in the book of Hebrews, I wanted you to see why scripture is so critical. I, I want you to see why, why I'm not, why we've kind of shifted away from, I'm not saying it's bad, I'm not saying it's negative, but why there's just been this heart shift within our leadership as a church to go, hey, we're gonna get away the, the sermons, there's like three steps to better relationships. Or five ways to, to happy parenting, or, or here's how to get your money right, or, or whatever that may be. And again, I, I've done those before, but we're, we're going to lean into the word so that I've got to preach to you the entire stuff. Because you know what can happen sometimes? You go start preaching, and then some, the pastor bumps into something that they don't like. You know what they can do? I can skip that. Because we should be reading, us pastor types, we should be reading the word. And if you're not careful, when you just bounce around from series to series to series to series, what happens is you become a part of a church that just recycles through about 44 passages of scripture that are the pastor's favorite. And, and my charge and my call to you as a congregation is to preach to you the whole canon of God, the entirety of scripture. Now, I, I've made the mistake. Listen, I've made the mistake. I, I'm in my younger age. And again, I'm only 35. <laughs> When I preached my first sermon 
in a dank basement in Whitesburg, Georgia to a student ministry. I preached that first sermon thinking that I needed to help stand on the authority of God's word. And I had to prop the authority of God's word up with my personality. And so I tried to stand on my authority as a gifted communicator. I tried to stand on the authority of my charisma. I tried to stand on my authority as a storyteller or someone who could maybe make you laugh. But in my much older age now as a 35 year old, what I come to realize is I could have had the best uh, ability to have charisma. I could have the best authority to kind of persuade you with my words. But if I don't give you the word, I have given you nothing as a communicator. But if I have, I could have no personality, as dull as a log. I could have no charisma. I could have no stories. I could have no object lessons or illustrations. But if I'm able to give you the living and acting word of God, your lives can still be changed. And so my commitment is to give you that. I could care less about giving you sauce. I want to give you the meat. I want you to be able to see scripture without me in it. I want you to be able to see Jesus without having to look through me. And so that's why we will stand on the authority of God's word. Now, we're going to get really practical and we'll wrap this up. So you need to hear from the word of God. Now, how do you hear from the word of God? Very, this, we've been, we've, there are books and books and books and books and sermons and sermons have been real. How do I hear from God? Read his word. Just like, it's so simple. Read the word of God. Like make a time, find a time, read the word of God. Now I already hear, I hear you in the room right now. I'm going to talk to you real quick. You go, well, I'm not a reader. I'm, I'm just not a reader. I don't, I don't, I don't like, I, it's, look, and I get it, man, I get it. And sometimes you go, hey, Bible's just hard to understand. All right. Are there any father sons in the room? Anybody with their dad in the room? All right, uh, Morel's there, Aiden's there. I see you, get, get the sheepish hand back there in the back. Okay, Aiden and Morel, Morel's one of our elders. His son's back there in the back with the rest of high schoolers. So, wait, you know, way to not make him sit with you guys. Way to go, woo-woo. And, uh, yeah, okay, well, both of your kids are back there. Okay, that's good, that's good. Hey, Ariana, I didn't forget about you. All right, so they're back over there. Now, you guys love your dad, right? Yes, they, one of them shook their head and said yes at the same time. You, you guys love your dad, all right? And, and you like hearing from your dad. You like communicating with dad. Your life is better because you can hear from your father. I love you. I care about you. Hey, Aiden, don't do this. Hey, Ariana, you need to check your, you know, the power pressure in your car. You need to be able to hear from your dad to have be guided into correct life. Now, let's say by some unfortunate stroke of luck, your dad gets in a weightlifting accident. He drops some heavy weight dumbbells, drop on his head, and he loses his hearing. Okay? He loses his hearing, and your dad no longer can hear the words you communicate to him. And so you have to communicate with your dad via sign language. All right, track with me here. Would either of you kids go, ah, talking to dad's complicated. It's, it's kind of tough. I just, I, I, don't, uh, I, I don't, I'm not a signer. No, because that's your father. He's the one who helped bring you into this world. Your mama wouldn't let you anyway, but none of you could just go like, ah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to talk to dad anymore. It's too hard. I'm, I'm just, like I said, I'm not a signer. And, and guys, hear me. This is us with our heavenly father. I'm not a reader. Look, if you're not a reader, you don't understand how much he loves you. If you're not a person who, who says, yes, it's complicated. Yes, it's difficult, but I'm willing to say the wrong thing sometimes. I'm maybe even willing to, to come to his word and leave not going. You know, if, if, if Morel was the sign language dad, and he comes and he's, and, and Aiden walks away going like, I don't know what dad just said, but like, I could tell he was passionate about it. Like, <laughs> and you walk away. Like, 
this has got to be us. Sometimes you're going to come to God's word and you're going to read it. It's going to feel like that was sign language to me. I have no idea what that's talking about. But here's what you got to know. Behind the words that you don't understand is a father who loves you so much that he speaks to you, communicates with you to save you from hell on earth. And and, and so very practically, um, here's the last few steps I'd give you. What this looks like. First of all, bring your Bible to church. All right, I don't have to elaborate super much on that. Just bring your Bible to church, okay? Start there. Next, bring something to take notes. I gave you some of that so you could do that today. Keep doing that. That means I'm showing up prepared and expecting God to speak to me, to show me something. Take notes, okay? I'm gonna bring this and actually write stuff down. And then I'm gonna take that home. I'm gonna take the word that you heard and I'm gonna make it the word you learned and lived. Let me, just confession time. I love, um, when you guys come up to me and you go, hey man, that was a great sermon. It's awesome. I've never heard that before. It's so good. But here's, here's what I want you to know and understand. <clears throat> these messages, these teachings from the word of God, they don't become good sermons between your chair and that door. They were entertaining. They were eye-opening. But I want us to change the definition of what a good teaching of God's word is. A new teaching of God's word is not one that was good in the room. A good teaching of God's word is one that was on Monday and Tuesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday until the next Sunday actually lived, lived out in your life. Listen, the word that I bring to you, the word that God leads me to to be able to speak to you, the passages that we open ourselves up to, they don't become good to us until they become a part of us, until we actually begin to live them out. We just become sour sponges that just soak up and soak up and soak up. You ever, you ever go to somebody's house who's still using a sponge or a wash rag and you, and you just touch it? You're like, I don't even want to touch it because why don't you want to touch it? Because you know if you touch it, what's your hand going to smell like? It's sour. It's, you know what I'm talking about, guys. Look, that's some of us spiritually. Just soak it in, soak it in, soak it in, soak it in. You don't realize you're sour. Everybody else does, but you don't realize you're sour. It's because we gotta, we gotta okay, I've got this in, I gotta ring this out. I got this in, I gotta ring this out. And that's why taking these notes and taking this home with you is so that you can write some stuff down and then open it up on a Wednesday and go, okay, how do I live this out today? That's why we gotta get in community groups, because we get in community groups and we go, okay, how are we gonna live this out? Like we all got kids, how are we gonna do this? We, we all, we're a bunch of single moms in the room. How are we going to do this? We're a bunch of people who are empty nesters and, and we have our, our older uh, parents moving into our houses with us. How are we going to live this out? That's what the church is for. And my prayer is that, that you would be a people who today and every day forward would go, I don't want anything else than to be able to come and hear from my father, to know that he's there, to know that he's with me. God, I'm not showing up at your word looking for answers to life. God, I'm coming to your word because I just want you. I need you. I need you to guide me. I need you to speak to me. And when our Father hears us come to him with those pure, those unadulterated, those un, unselfishly motivated prayers, I believe without a doubt he's going to answer them. And so we're going to invite everybody here who's in Christ to receive communion. And I want you to know as you take the bread and as you eat the juice that there is a message in this communion. And this message is, one, you're never too far off from God to come back. And two, Jesus is the Savior, spoke the truth, 
that your sins could be forgiven and you could hear from your heavenly father. We're gonna sing a song and I pray you stick around after the song. I have uh, for the, I think, sixth Sunday in the row, uh, somebody to be baptized into the family of faith today. And so please stick around so we can celebrate with them and their family. Um, but I'm gonna pray for you, let you receive communion and sing, heart, sing your heart out to the father. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for how you're moving and working in us. Speak to them. God, you're, you are a God who speaks. As they commune with you over the broken body and poured out blood, speak to them. In your name, amen.